We saw how God created everything, how he created it good. We saw how men, because of our rebellion against God and our desire to be God instead of to just be in his image, but to overthrow God, uh, cause all the evil and destruction and death in the world. We saw how God continued to relate with human beings, continued to pursue them, and how human beings throughout our history continued to reject God again and again. But we knew that God wasn't thwarted. He still wanted to slay evil, to destroy it forever, and restore our relationship with him. So even though we rebelled against God, he continued to pursue us. And the story culminated in Jesus, right? So we, we had that just two weeks ago where we were talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment from everything we've read in the Bible so far and how he's the fulfillment and the culmination. And even afterwards, all of this Bible stuff is still pointing back to Jesus. So last week, Pastor Joe led us through the book of Acts and how the this institution that we call the church was made and, and how um, it's not a man-made institution. Instead, it is one that God himself has made and developed and grown and cultivated up from the beginning even till now. What you see before you is not a product of human beings. It is a product of God as he shapes his church through the centuries until he returns. And so today we're going to look after Acts. What comes next after Acts? And if you look what you have are a bunch of books all the way to the end of Revelation. And this is the part of our Bible that we call the letters, right? Because what is happening is um, for a lot of them, Paul, who we saw in Acts, who was going around planting churches, he started those churches. He even stayed with them for a while and got them established. Had, um, but he wanted to continue help and develop them. So he sent these letters to them, confronting sin problems and other problems that crept up and encouraging them when things got hard. And, and, and the letters that are also not from Paul, but from other, these other letters, most of those are also written to local churches specifically. Even if you get to Revelation, it's not necessarily written to one local church, but you see at the beginning these seven local churches that are written to. Some of these books may not have a local church explicitly named, but they're often written to them as well. And then the ones written to specific individuals, so you have you had Timoth, First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Of those, First and Second Timothy and Titus are written to these individuals whose job was to establish leadership and help mature local churches. All that to say is this, this last part of the Bible, and it's the part, by the way, that we are in now. We're in this age of the local church. You see, Jesus established his church. And his church, by the way, is not just us, but it is every Christian who has ever existed, everyone who's ever followed Jesus from the beginning to when he returns and everywhere around the world where Jesus is worshipped and obeyed, right? That's the whole church. But that global church is experienced through a local church. And that's what you see in the New Testament. You you, um, and, and so there's a lot of people out there who might, uh, especially in, in America, one of, we have many good parts of our culture, but one of the parts that, that makes it hard to follow Jesus sometimes is we're very individualistic, right? Some of that can be good. Some of that makes it very hard though, to follow Jesus. And so we, sometimes we have this attitude that I love Jesus, but I'm not a big fan of his church, right? And my favorite line from that is not from me, is from one of my professors. He said, Anytime you have someone say that to you, next time you should just look at them and say, okay, well, next time you're out with your wife, why don't you just tell her, 
hey, honey, I really love your face, but I kind of hate your body, and see how that goes over. I don't think it'll end well for you, right? And it's the same way, this idea that we can somehow love Jesus but hate his body, the church, doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Uh, and, and, and somehow we can follow Jesus but not be a part of his body doesn't make sense. And so as I'm looking at these letters and I'm like, okay, what is the summer? What is this part of scripture all about? It's about the local church. How do we live within the local church? How do we follow Jesus now? And that's all within the context of being a part of a local church. And so my original plan was why you need the local church, right? Uh, and, and I'm sure me and Joe talk about that a lot. Um, but as I thought about that, I was like, I don't know if this should be our emphasis. And the reason, uh, at least not this week, and the reason is we all know we need the church of Jesus. We know that we need it. But if I'm always talking about your need for the church, what that can quickly turn into is kind of a talk about why you should eat your vegetables, right? Like imagine that you're at a Thanksgiving feast and you see, you see this kid whose plate is full of dessert and meat and other things, and they're just kind of pushing around the, the green beans that they're forced to put on their plate. You're not wondering why they're not eating it. You want to encourage them to eat it, but you, you, you know why they're not eating it. it. There's nothing exciting about vegetables. But here's the thing. <laughs> While we, unless you think, like, as a grown-up, sometimes vegetables are good, right? But there's nothing exciting about it. And so what can happen as we're talking about the local church is it begins to be treated like vegetables. And the truth is, do you need the local church? Yes. Is it healthy and good for you? Yes. But it's also really, really desirable. All right. So me and Nicole, actually the other night, we were going out to eat and, and I had this big old steak in front of me, but I was not feeling good that day. And so I got about halfway through this amazing steak and I was like, I'm kind of full. I don't want it. And Nicole looked at me and goes, is something wrong? <laughs> And that's the right question. If you're at a feast, if you're at a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal and someone's just kind of pushing their food around, the dessert and everything, the proper question is, are you feeling okay? Are you sick? And in much the same way, when people um, treat the local church in this way where they're like, I know I need to go, but I just don't feel like it, their appetite for it is low, instead of just berating them or, or saying, you need to do this, right? Uh, like a coach spurring them on, I, I, I often do wonder, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Because if you are a follower of Jesus and you aren't fully into the local church, I get that it's hard sometimes, but if you're not truly desiring to be a part of it, something has gone wrong, right? Something is messed up there. Your appetite is low for a reason. And so what I want to show you today is why should you love your local church? Why should you desire to be a part of it? What should draw you in? So instead of just saying, hey, eat your vegetables, today what I want to do is kind of sit at the table with the feast in front of you and wave the smell towards you and say, are you hungry yet? Right? And, that, and that is my desire for today. So um, I hope you guys are in Colossians 3. Uh, and if you would stand for me as I've read this first section of scripture. Colossians 3, we're going to start with verse 8 and go through verse 14. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, I pray that as uh, we travel through your scripture today, as we travel through the letters of the New Testament, you would show us who you are and how you intend to meet us that you would show us why you have designed your local church in this way and why it is a gift and a blessing to us. I pray that you would warm our hearts to your great, great gift of one another, that we would truly be humbled and, and feel the blessing that comes from you through your local church. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The first reason that I want to point out to you, why should you love your local church? I want to point out you from Colossians 3, and that is this. It is here in the local church that we experience the grace of Jesus. Now, all of us know that through the gospel, we have the grace of Jesus. We have received forgiveness. But here's the thing. Because we were made as physical human beings, interacting in a physical world with other physical human beings, sometimes we need tangible things for it to help sink in and become a reality. Yes, we know Jesus has forgiven us. We know that we are forgiven in Jesus for all that we have ever done because we've received the gospel. But you know where that comes real? You know where that really begins to sink in? It is when you are within the local church and you have harmed your fellow brother and sister in Christ and they forgive you. They don't forgive you for themselves. None of us are really that good that we can just let it go. Instead, it is through the love of Jesus that as we give it to one another that we receive forgiveness when we have harmed our brothers. And it is when we also forgive those within the body and we experience how difficult it is to be truly harmed by someone and yet take that pain within yourself so that you can give grace to your fellow brother and sister. It is through that experience of grace that you begin to realize just how much Jesus loves you and how much he paid for you. We need these tangible ways of giving and receiving grace. And Jesus and his kindness has given one another so that we can do that. Look at this verse again. As we read down in this verse, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Put on all of this, and at the end it says this, forgiving one another, but how? As the Lord has forgiven you. In other words, every time that we forgive our fellow Christian who has harmed us or wronged us or or whatever the case may be, sinned against us, we are experiencing the love of Jesus for us. And every time we receive that forgiveness, we are also experiencing that love. It keeps us from making Jesus' love theoretical, right? Because there's many of us who who can begin to have this attitude like, 
yeah, I know Jesus forgave me because he's God, right? He has to forgive me. So he has to love me, right? Because that's what God is. He is love. But in your relation to him, you begin to say, yeah, God loves me, but I think it's begrudgingly, right? That's your attitude. He loves me begrudgingly, right? He doesn't actually like me all that much, but because he's God and because he has to love me, he, he does. But here's the thing. When we receive the grace and love from our fellow Christians, it begins to strip that lie away that, no, God doesn't just begrudgingly love you. He likes you. He enjoys you. He wants to be with you. Why does it strip that away? Because when we realize, despite how we've harmed our fellow brothers and sisters, how they still desire us to be with them, that is so freeing. And it helps us release that burden, right? Uh, if anyone has experienced that for themselves, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the the grace of, despite knowing that you've harmed someone and hurt them, that they still choose to befriend you, to love you. Wow. Right? We need that. What is another reason that we need the local church, that we should love a local church? And it, it, it's with that, by the way. If you'll notice here at the end, uh, sorry, towards the beginning, this local church is combining together both Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. They were thrown into this one body are all these people who would never interact outside of it. You have free men and slaves. You have Jew and you have Gentile, barbarian and Scythian and Jew, right? All these different people thrown into one body, and made into one family. Why should we love the church? Because in the local church is where prejudice goes to die. Each of us in our hearts have people that we do not find easy to love, right? And it may not be an ethnicity thing. It may not even be a cultural thing. It could be a personality thing. People that we, if we had the choice, would not hang out with because we find it annoying. We find them grating. We find them hard to love. But guess what? God loves deeply each of these people. And the reason he has put you in a church with people you find difficult to love is because he wants you to share his heart for them. And he wants it not just to be someone you can tolerate. He wants it to become your family. The next reason we should love our church, uh, local church is this. It is where our adoption into God's family becomes tangible. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 2 here. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and stranger to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, God throws together people who would not normally be together, who do not normally like each other. And he takes all that built-up hostility that is caused between all human beings because of sin, and he tears it down. He makes a nothing. And so he puts unlikely people together to love each other. And when he does that, he shows off to the whole world the love that he has for them. That is what the local church is. It is one thing to say, oh, I love the church. I love all people theoretically from a distance. Right? That's easy. But when you are with them, the people who eat noisily, which I, I hear I'm sometimes that, right? The people whose laugh you find grating, the people whose sense of humor is completely different from yours, right, or seem to not have one. When you are put together with those people and you find a way to love them, not because of anything you and you, but because of the love of Jesus for them in you, that is an incredible statement to the world. And that's who we are as the local church. That doesn't happen in a theoretical world where we're at a distance and we're, yeah, we're part of the global church, but we don't know about this whole local church thing. You can experience this in a tangible way. And not just loving those unlike you, but being loved by those who would not normally love you either. It is an incredibly great gift. Why else should we love our local church? It is where we are led and served by Jesus. It is where we are led and served by Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about the elders of churches, and that is one thing that makes up a local church. It is a local body where people come together to worship Jesus. It is led by elders and served by deacons, and it, it serves communion and preaches the word, right? Those are some of the bare essentials of it. And so how should these elders relate to the people, and how should people relate to the elders? First Peter 5 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. By the way, this is Peter, apostle of Jesus, one of the only three who saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain, right? He could be pulling rank here. He could be saying, hey, it's Peter, right? Best friend to Jesus. Listen to me. But instead, what he says is a fellow elder. You uh, as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is what he says to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you, heard, you who are younger be subject to the elders. By the way, it says likewise. Pay attention to that. It seems at first glance to be the opposite, one to lead, one to follow. But Peter is connecting these two things. Likewise, in the same way, be subject to the elders. Why is it in the same way? Because both are called to this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, this, release, uh, this relationship that Jesus himself has set up 
where you have some who are called to shepherd the flock, to exercise oversight as leaders, elders of the church, and those who are supposed to follow them and submit to them, both are to do it out of humility. Right? Part of the reason sometimes that we struggle with this idea of leadership in the church is because we take all sorts of foreign ideas about leadership from the outside world into the church. But in the church, let me make it clear. Elders, when we lead, we lead out of service and humility towards you. Not for our own gain, because we do not lead in and of ourselves. We only lead as we follow Jesus. And so here's the thing. How are we led by Jesus? Because all of us admit we need Jesus to lead us. As sinful human beings, not yet perfected. We need Jesus' leadership. But how do we get that? Well, yeah, we can say we go to the Word, but because, once again, we are physical human beings living in a physical world with other physical human beings, the way Jesus has chosen to lead us, one of those ways, is through other unperfected human beings, right, that God puts in positions of authority over us. And you could say, well, why would I listen to these men who are also sinful? And the answer is because it's not about them, it's about Jesus. If they call you to sin, yes, reject that and follow Jesus. But we are called to follow imperfect human beings because we are following Jesus through them. And that's what leadership is about. Following Jesus needs tangible things for us. Because once again, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm following Jesus and not listen to anyone around you. Say, this is what Jesus told me. But it's a lot harder thing when following Jesus means listening to your parents, right? When, when your parents say, clean your room, and you think you did a good enough job, you're like, oh, I just follow Jesus, not you. No, right? We all understand that. No, to follow Jesus is to follow those he put over you. And when we become adults, let's not forget that lesson, that as imperfect as the leaders Jesus puts over us, we need led by Jesus, and that's how he does it. On the other hand, though, too, Elders, the reason we serve is out of humility. Ultimately, we are following Jesus. And when we lead, it's not because of any personal gain. It's because we are following Jesus and we love his people with a love that he has put in us. So it must, And that's why whenever the Bible calls someone to leadership, he always calls them to suffer for the people, to serve the people, and to make sacrifice for the people they serve. Right? You can look at that for husband. You can look at that for elders. You can look at that anytime God calls someone to leadership. These are the things he requires of them. Right, And then that's why the Bible can also say those who are first among you are those who are slave to all. Now there's those who serve all. The second thing we need from Jesus, though, is not just his leading. We also need his serving of us. We need Jesus to serve us. And this is why... They also instituted deacons within the church. In Acts 6, 1 through 7, we see the formation of uh, deacons. And I'm just going to give you a summary. The reason that deacons were formed is because the apostles were busy teaching. And so as they were teaching, all these needs came up because as human beings living in a fallen world, we have these deep needs and we can't ignore those, right? It's not just the Bible and prayer. Yes, that's the foremost thing, the most important thing. But we also have physical human needs, right? That's where elsewhere in the Bible where, where it says, if you truly love your brother, when he comes to you and says he's hungry, you're not going to say, oh, I love you, go in peace, right? It's no, you'll give him something to eat. We have physical needs. 
But what was happening is these elders were so consumed with teaching and preaching of the word, developing this new church, they didn't have time to serve, right? That's not to say that service was bad or beneath them, but they knew they were uniquely equipped to teach, and that was their role. So they equipped other godly men at the time, although it expanded to women, uh, to serve the church, to take care of the physical needs that came as a result of the church, right? And that's why God called deacons. And so as a church, we also need to be served by Jesus. And the way he chooses to do that, once again, is physically and tangibly through other people. And I know this, there, I've often found within myself and within others, there are two kind of ways we push back against this. One is this, we are all about being served and we love that. But when we're called to serve, that's when everything rises up against us like, how dare you ask me, right? You're supposed to be serving me. And to those people, we gently nudge and say, no, you will be blessed by serving. This is something you're invited to for your benefit and your good. If all you're doing is receiving, then you're missing out on so much great. But then there's others of us, and I know there's many in this room who struggle with the idea of being served, right? There are those of us who don't want to take our troubles because we don't want to be a burden to other people. We don't want to show up when we're a mess at church. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to make our needs known because, no, we're supposed to help. We don't need to be a burden to other people. And as a recovering uh, sinner in this way, can I gently remind you, when Peter said something similar to Jesus, when Jesus was uh, at the Last Supper, he was washing his disciples' feet. Peter goes, you will never wash my feet. I should be serving you instead. Jesus said, essentially, this is Josh paraphrase, right? But essentially what he said was, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not a part of me. You need me to wash you. And so Peter was like, okay, then wash all of me. And Jesus said, calm down, just your feet, right? If you've been cleaned, you're fully clean. You just need your feet washed. That's, that's my paraphrase. But, but here's what we need to learn, that it is not humble to refuse being served by Jesus and not humble in refusing to be served by the people Jesus puts in our life to serve us. That's not humble. That's arrogance. That's saying that I don't need what Jesus is offering. me, And we know that's not true. We, of course, need it. But it is humbling and it is hard to receive grace and service from other people, is it not? But it is also incredibly healing and incredibly good to be served by the hands and feet of Jesus, which are his local church. Why else should we love our local church? And this one is not going to sound great at first, but I promise you it is. It is where Jesus disciplines us. Matthew 18 describes the process by where uh, Jesus encourages uh, people to call out sin in one another. It says this, uh, starting verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, but between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And that last verse we like to quote, where two or three are gathered, there I am among them, right? And, that, and that's our, that's our uh, way of saying, you know, if we want to like dip out early and just go golfing or have lunch and at least two or three of us, that's fine. Jesus is with us, right? But the context here is with confronting sin. I want to point that out to you. And this is a hard thing, right? It is not comfortable to have people confront sin in your life. Um, it, it, it reminds me recently I had to have my teeth cleaned at the dentist. And if any of you have ever had that, that is painful, uh, especially if they're really going deep. That is a painful experience, and you're sore for a while afterwards. But guess what? After you've healed, you feel so much better. And it, it, it's like many surgeries as, where, as well where you have a deep infection where they cut it open and they have to clean it out. That's painful. But when it heals, you feel so much better. And that's a lot like discipline here. We have sin in our life that is like a splinter that's gotten into our skin and it's infected us and it's causing pain. And we know that to remove it is going to be really, really painful. And so in our minds, we're like, you know, dealing with it is fine. Uh, I'd rather just kind of deal with it and not have to go through the pain of digging in there and pulling it out. But here's the thing. We are called to a healthier way of life. We are called to be healed from these pains. We don't have to continue to live with the sin in our life. And the way that Jesus chooses to get in there and to remove these splinters of sin is through our fellow Christians, who, by the way, are also sinful themselves. Sometimes that's why it's hard, right? It's hard to listen to other people confronting our sin because we're like, yeah, okay, you're one to talk. I know your sin, right? It, it is difficult, but God uses imperfect people to show his grace and his healing to us where we can truly be freed from sin. And that's what discipline is about. That's also why there's a way of doing discipline. Discipline isn't immediately confronting someone, calling them out in the pew to come up here as we berate them for their sin, right? That's not what is happening. Instead, alone, go to them first. If they don't listen to that, well, then bring someone else with you. If they don't listen to that, well, bring someone else until it's gotten to the point where they are refusing to listen to sin. And the reason the Bible ends this charge as calling them a Gentile, in other words, dismissing them from your community, isn't out of anger or rejecting someone, it's out of love. Because if they have so coveted this sin in their life, if they refuse to listen even to the whole church, then they are in deep, deep danger. They've loved sin so much. And the only way to get them free from it is to confront them with something harsh like this. It is an act of love, all of this discipline. And if you embrace it, then you can become more and more like Jesus. It is a freeing thing. And guess what? It's not just receiving that. It's also helping your fellow brothers and sisters. Not just letting it go because, ah, that's just who they are, right? That's just, I, would, I was trying to think of like just a common name to say, that's just, but I realized that I needed to make sure no one in this church was named that first. That's just them. That's just how they do it. They just like to tell stories about other people. It's not mean-hearted gossip, right? It's just gossip. It's just a little thin. But when the Bible talks about gossip, it talks about it as this corrosive thing tearing down this church that will be judged severely. If we love them, when they come to us with gossip, we say, hey, have you gone to your brother or sister? If not, go tell them. If you have, why are you bringing me into this, right? 
That's what it means to lovingly provide discipline to one another. And that may seem hard at first, but it's the most loving thing you can do for one another. Not just gossip, it's other areas as well. Not just ignoring sin in their life, but gently confronting it. And when you do that, and here's why it's often difficult to do that, when you've confronted someone with sin in their life, gently and lovingly, what you've just done is given them permission to do the same. Isn't that often why we struggle to do this? It's because, man, if I, even though I love them and I want them to stop this because it's hurting them, if I do this, that also gives them permission to call out the painful things in my life. And yet that is where we receive healing. That's why Jesus gave us this local church so we can experience freedom sin and grief, right? Okay, why else should we love our church? Well, we should love it because this is where Jesus fulfills his great commission. All of us have heard this great commission to go, uh, as we go to all the nations, right, preaching and baptizing them in the Trinitarian name of God, discipling them in all that Jesus has taught, right? That's our goal as a church. That's what we are here to do. And when we hear the stories of Paul and Acts, we, we unintentionally sometimes picture this as a, a lone super Christian going out into the world and winning converts for Jesus. But we miss something important. I want to read for you how Paul was originally sent out. And this is in chapter 13 of Acts, by the way. We're already very far in Acts. So I, I want to point that out before we get to Paul and his missionary journeys. It says this. Now there were in the churches at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praise, praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they set sail to Cyprus, right? That's how they started their mission journeys. Here's what I want to point out. They didn't just go. They were sent by a local church. And when they got there, they didn't just win converts for Jesus. They established local churches. Why? Because Jesus in his kindness isn't sending us out as lone Christians to take on the devil by ourselves and to win converts for Jesus. No, he puts us in a family. And we go and we're sent by a family and we're supported as a family and we do this work together. You know, I, I think the reason sometimes we have such a hard time sharing the gospel to our friends and neighbors and co-workers and making disciples is because we think in our minds that's something we do alone, where we sit down across the table one-on-one -on -one with people individually. And while there is a time and a place for that, it is, should not be separated from the local church. This is a burden and a task and a joy that we should share together. It, it, it is not something we do alone. You can't disciple someone without your help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the reasons you can't do that, by the way, uh, I brought this up here, this poster that I have hanging in the youth room. One of the reasons that we can't make disciples of Jesus apart from the local church this is kind of an uh, uh, infographic. Each letter, how big it is, it, it represents how many times in the New Testament this command is. These are all the one another commands. You see love, it's kind of the big encapsulating one. And all the others are kind of how we love one another, right? Well, we, we be humble towards one another. We encourage, we live in peace towards one another. But here's what I want to point out. This is all about how we treat 
one another. In other words, the way these New Testament letters talk about following Jesus are all about our relationship to one another. In other words, following Jesus outside of Jesus's body doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. How are you supposed to follow Jesus? How are you supposed to fill these if you don't have one another? And so when we make disciples, we disciple them within the church, teaching them all that Jesus taught us, right? So why should we love our local church? It is where Jesus fulfills his great commission. This is the great task. Jesus is winning brothers and sisters for us. He is defeating evil and reversing the fall, and we get to be a part of that, this incredible, great work. If you wonder if your life has purpose and your life has meaning, if you are a Christian, it absolutely does. It has the most meaning possible. It has the grand meaning of God's great work of saving sinners to himself. We get to be a part of that, right? Imperfect people that God is using to do his perfect work. It's a great joy. Why else? It is where we feast on the gospel. Next week, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And when you do that, what I want you to realize what this is, is this is, once again, God recognizing our physical nature and reminding of us of his great and good gospel. Namely this, that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. So that all who put their faith in Jesus might be forgiven of their sins and live for eternity with God. And the Lord's Supper is a way where we can experience that with all of our senses, the smell and the taste of the bread and the juice as we glory in the great gospel of Jesus who loved us so much he died for us so that he could win us from death to new life. And guess what? This is not something we can do individual. Not every time we have bread and grape juice is that the Lord's Supper. It is only when we gather together as a local church. Why? Because it's, it's, it's also a reminder that, that every time we eat and we look at our brothers and sisters and we see the great work that grace has done in their lives, relationships healed, addictions freed from, a life that was lived in sin turned around, we are reminded of all that Jesus has won for us. And not just the the great stories, but as we watch and as we eat, we see people still struggling with sin and addiction. We see people still struggling because they have a hard relationship with their spouse. We see people still struggling because they find it hard to believe in the goodness of God because they are suffering right now. And we see them eat in hope and clinging on to the gospel in faith. That's why we eat this together, because we are feasting on the gospel and all the good and all the greatness that Jesus has won for us. And we get to do that at our local church, not just by ourselves, but as we look around and see the beauty that Jesus has won through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Why else? We should love our local church because this is where the word of God is applied Once again, returning to Colossians 3, this time verse 16, this is what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now, here's the thing. We live in such an incredibly blessed time where each of us has easy access to a Bible. 
in print, we have, we have access to multiple Bibles that we can understand translated for us on our phones, elsewhere, right? It is an incredible blessing. You need to know, though, that the local church, when it was written, it is not so easy to get access to a Bible. Even if you could read, which was not a guarantee, the cost of owning a book was not a cheap thing. And so where did you go to hear the Word of God? Well, you gathered together. And you took that word with you wherever you went, right? And by the way, the local church is still that. Yes, we have such a blessing. Please read your Bibles at home because you can, right? This is God's word to us. It's an incredible joy and blessing to have. But not only that, when we gather as a church, we do what? We teach one another. We admonish one another. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to one another and with one another. What is this about? This taking the word of God and letting it dwell in us richly. And this is how we do it. We encourage one another with the Bible. When people are struggling, we point them back to the word of God and its encouragement. When people need admonishing, they're straying from the word of God. We point them to the Bible, not our own wisdom, we point them to God's wisdom. We sing the songs. By the way, there's something beautiful about singing. Christianity is a singing religion, is a musical religion. Why? Because song, and by the way, this is coming from someone who has no musical bone in his body at all. At all. I tell people I'm not tone deaf, I'm tone dead. All right? But he, here's the beautiful thing. God made music to touch us on a more than an intellectual level. Music, great music, moves us deeply and emotionally as well as intellectually. And that's why we sing the Word of God, because we don't just want to have our minds enlightened. We want our hearts transformed, and God meets us as we sing to one another the words of Scripture. And when we admonish one another and encourage one another and teach one another, by the way, teaching one another, Right? Yes, there is a role for elders to be the main teachers and leaders of church in those things, whether it is uh, preaching or teaching or elsewhere. But this is a call to all of us. All of you dive deeply into your Bibles. Why? Because you have a chance to encourage and admonish and teach one another the Scripture. Every interaction you have when you're pointing people to the Word, you get to participate in the deep and dwelling of the Scripture in us. And this is where we do it, is local church. Finally, this is the final point. Why should we love our church, local church? And the answer is, I don't have a specific verse because I want you to go back as you're going through small group or elsewhere and see in all these scripture, this is there. Why should we love our local church? Because this is where Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is somehow confined to this building or that this place is somehow more spiritual or holy than others. What I am saying is that we together are Jesus's body. So there is something powerful and amazing when that body gathers together where we experience Jesus like we can't elsewhere. And we need that. The reason that the Bible warns us not to forsake gathering together as a body is because we need the whole body of Jesus. We don't, we don't need to just take our own little pinky or toenail away by ourselves and say, that's enough of Jesus. No, we want all of Jesus that can, we can have. And we can only get that when we experience it through our unsanctified, unperfect brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? And I get this, by the way. I get that I'm painting this picture of the local church that is at its best. And we don't always experience it that way. 
But I want to tell you that that's part of it. That's not a flaw in the system. God drew us, all of us, imperfect, still being sanctified Christian brothers and sisters, to be together, to run the race together, to continue as Jesus through his Holy Spirit is perfecting us through one another. Until the day he completes that work, the church will always be a shadow of what we will fully get in heaven. But guess what? That's a good shadow, <laughs> right? It is a good foretaste of what we're going to receive. And I, and I want you to understand this and to be drawn to this. The reason I want you to be a part of our local church, the reason I want you to be fully engaged, whether it's this church or another church, if you guys move or go elsewhere, the reason why I'm so passionate is because it's such a good thing. I've been so blessed by Jesus's body from the day I was born till now. And I want you guys to receive that as well. And, and the only way you can do that is sometimes you have to press in when it's difficult. You have to open yourself up to be served when you don't want to expose where you need to be served. You need to open yourself up to forgive even when it's painful to forgive and to receive forgiveness when you still full, feel full of deep shame and regret. This is what I'm calling you to. And my hope is that you will more and more as you as you further engage, as you further push in, as you further join in, that you will see the beauty that Jesus is giving you here. So with that, I'm going to end in prayer, and we'll continue to worship, uh, singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs together. Father, I just want to praise you for this great gift that you've given us, that you have given us a physical, tangible body of Jesus until he returns. And I just thank you for the great blessings and love and grace that you give us through that. And I pray that you'd help us to continue to grow in our own joining to your church, Father, that you continue to help us grow in receiving love and giving love through Jesus. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.